Chapter Twelve of Lift Luck on Southern Roads by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Gloaming. Wiley Village I passed in the hushed, steel grey hour that comes between the day and night. Lights were blinking drowsily in some of the cottage windows. I was sorely tempted to end my day's travel there and try a little of the doorstep diplomacy that, so far, had yielded me much snug stalling. But something in the pureness of the air, a kind of serene asceticism, kept my feet moving onward almost against my will. After a little while, I came out upon the main road again, still in the same divided frame of mind. Here there were four crossroads. I stood at their juncture, while the twilight deepened swiftly overhead. Everything about me was indescribably mute and still. The great planets were bright in the sky. The stars were not yet low down in the east an opalescent blur showed where the moon would be rising an odd sort of querying mood seized upon me leaning on the fence by the roadside i seemed to be changed into a human note of interrogation something short of six feet high where was i going and what lay before me on that stealthy buoyant pure-souled night the two questions alternated in my mind as regularly as the backward and forward swings of a pendulum and at about the fiftieth swing perhaps an hour later the answer came rumbling up from candle twinkling wily only a little ways on to the plain said the driver from the dusky depths of his wagon tilt but you're very welcome fur as i goes I climbed up beside him. In the roadside nettles a white stone glimmered by. What does that say? I asked him. That? Nine miles to Amesbury. Nine of the loneliest miles in all the country, I reckon. Tis straight over Salisbury Plain and past the stones. But you bain't going there this time of night? Stonehenge! it was thither my steps had been turning all the day then and i had never guessed it all my life i had wanted to go to stonehenge but something had always prevented me and now it seemed i was really going and going on such a night a short mile farther on but every inch laborious collar work for the team the wagon reached its destination, a little farmstead tucked into a corner of the hills. It lumbered off to the cart-house, and, left alone on the road, I took a survey of the country round me, with the eye of a ship-captain driven into unknown seas. The moon was up now. With a face like pale red, glowing iron, it peered over the hilltop to my right and revealed to me the most desolate scene i had ever chanced upon 
i had left the last of the trees far below in wiley valley and now there was visible not even the sparsest wayside shrub the long swelling curves of the hills rose on every hand utterly bare to their summits and up through the midst of them climbed the naked chalky track like a beam of clearer moonlight straight ahead into the grey darkness as though it led to the sky there was no wind here by the roadside but every hill crest far above me seemed like a lute-string stretched from star to star on which the wandering night air thrummed continually hard by the farmhouse stood a smaller cottage and by the garden gate i made out a tiny red spark going towards it i found a labourer leaning there enjoying a quiet pipe he seemed much astonished to see a stranger in his highland desert at such a time and still more amazed at the question put to him stonehenge why tis miles and miles i wouldn't go there myself to-night no not for a golden sovereign law you've a fine lonesome road afore ye and no mistake this put an idea into my head walking sticks are always an impediment in real walking and i never carried one but for a night tramp over salisbury plain a bit of a cudgel might not come amiss i consulted the man at the gate and he furnished me with a stout hurdle stake about four feet long savagely pointed at one end thus provided with a tool that was both weapon and alpenstock combined i set out for my long walk it is difficult to convey any real idea of that night's experience vast uninhabited spaces of earth are conventionally supposed even in daylight to strike the traveller with awe at their immensity and their solitude to overwhelm him with a sense of his own littleness and unimportance in the creative scheme and at night these popularly accredited qualities are supposed to augment a hundredfold but when i had left the farm behind me and was fairly swallowed up by that illimitable moon-flooded waste of hills i did not find a spirit of loneliness gaining on me nor was i borne down with any feeling of personal insignificance rather i found myself exalted into the position of chief mummer in a pageant that had the whole universe for its staging alone of all human beings that night i was privileged to act a part with the bright world company of moon and stars the road climbed higher and higher and with every mile that went by there came to me a greater sense of exhilaration of freedom of usefulness as being at least one indispensable cog in the moving glad machinery of the skies gradually i came out upon the level plain the air was of a diamond-like brilliance and purity 
i could make out every little dell or prominence in the whole wide arena of hills sometimes there was an erect black mark in the undulating silver where a shepherd's hut stood or the grey square of a fold the sheep bells tinkled near and far now and again the bark of a dog came to me on the wandering air or a curlew swept by with his harsh jangling note but as far as i could tell save for beast and bird i was the one living thing in a solitude that seemed a hundred miles wide right in the heart of the plain in a little tree-cumbered hollow lies the village of winterbourne at about the fifth mile the road took a sudden downward dip thick interlacing foliage made an unexpected darkness around me then upon this sombre screen as from a magic lantern was thrown a picture of lighted cottages and in their midst an inn here i took the precaution to stuff my pockets with bread and cheese ten minutes later i was trudging over the moonlit plain once more and looking back lo all sign of the dell and everything it contained had vanished but for my bulging pockets i could have believed the whole thing the swift descent into winterbourne its bevy of lights and pleasant human talk and faces to have been only a wayside dream i now began to look about me for stonehenge hitherto the sky had been without a cloud but now a succession of dark forms came sailing over the face of the moon so that for minutes together the way was plunged in almost complete darkness at these times it was impossible to see a dozen yards ahead in one of the longest and profoundest periods of obscurity i even missed the road altogether and discovering myself floundering on the bare hillside i was constrained to pull up and wait until the returning moonlight should again disclose the way thus i went on for what seemed an interminable time at last when the light had been blotted out for half a mile or so and i was beginning to fear that i had missed what i sought altogether i came suddenly upon it the moon broke out with a dazzling brilliance and there within a stone's throw of me lay the vast ruined circle of stonehenge if it had sprung out of the bare ground before my gaze or been let down miraculously from heaven on cables of moonshine i doubt if i could have been more entirely dumbfounded than i was at that moment volumes i suppose could be filled with the recorded thoughts and impressions of various travellers on their first view of stonehenge i can only think that these emotional pilgrims must have been of another clay to myself or come letter perfect in ready-made idolatries for my own part i could only stare at the thing 
lost in unformulated wonder at its strength its massiveness its rugged ruthless grandeur snow-white in the moonshine beautiful with a beauty that was all lawlessness and primeval savagery well-nigh terrifying in its silent revelation of human power and purpose five thousand years ago it drew me like a basilisk stumbling over the intervening ground until i was brought up against a high wire fence as a bird caught in a snare but i was over this twanging obstruction in a moment the next moment i had passed under one of the mighty trioliths and had hushed my footfall on the velvety sward within close to the great sacrificial stone there are rare seasons in most men's lives when the veil that divides the seen from the unseen the corporeal from the ethereal seems to refine away to such an attenuity that eyes and ears alone cannot be trusted to keep the boundary unpassed my long solitary walk had perhaps a little unnerved me though i bore a full haversack i had fasted for six or seven hours the almost instinctive habit of old smokers to fill and fill again when much preoccupied may have had something to do with it but be this as it may i had no sooner got within the shadows of the place when a fluttering conviction seized me that i was not alone it was no mere sensation of a vague form lurking somewhere behind the pillars of the vast ruin i felt myself one of a crowd one of a great concourse of people densely packed together and swaying with an intense excitement a single unmarked unit in a multitude looking on at some nameless fearful rite all i had ever read of the druids of their terrible lordship over their race their human sacrifices their fantastic harlotry of religion came welling up in my mind i strode to and fro in the moon-barred space with arms outstretched i knelt by that black evil-looking stone black as it well might be with the blood that had been shed on it and felt it over assuring myself that there was nothing on it but light and dew else i must have believed my outer senses that i was indeed held and pressed by the surging multitude that the white robes of the sun-priests were indeed flickering before me that in very truth there was that wild chant upon the air that gibbering lament from the slaughter-stone that final flash of the descending sacrificial knife it was all over in a moment the mood passed i was myself again a little unsteady and overstrained but indubitably the twentieth century wayfarer once more and now as indubitably almost prosaically alone i sat for a while how long i never knew on one of the fallen columns thinking it over and watching the moonshine 
as it slowly journeyed past my feet and then on the still air there was borne to me the sound of chiming bells i started up and listened it was infinitely remote but every note wonderfully distinct and clear the bells were playing a quaint old hymn tune and playing it ill one bell missed altogether and one hurried tripping over the next at the end i could even make out the faint throbbing discord as all the bells settled down to silence together then came a single deep note chiming the hour i counted up to nine but to my amazement the sound went on farther ten eleven twelve it was midnight and here i was drowsing in the midst of salisbury plain with never a thought yet of where i was to lie that night i hurried off at a good round pace in the direction as i thought of the chimes guessing that they rang over amesbury in this latter i was right for on the morrow i stood by the church and heard over again the same halting imperfect performance but something had gone awry with my sense of location that queer night's walk was destined to have an uncommon ending instead of drawing near the roofs of amesbury and the song of avon my steps led me deeper and deeper into the wilderness at length just as i was nearing a dark clump of pines of which now there were several in the landscape the moonlight soused out permanently behind a thick bank of cloud and i was constrained to admit that i had lost my way it was an unholy situation i was tired to death with my long tramp and still more tired of solitude and darkness i had no idea where i was and it seemed equally futile to go back or forward two courses only remained to me the first to wait until the clock struck again when i must try to guide myself by the sound at best but a forlorn hope the second to make for the pine clump and there extemporize a night's lodging i chose the latter and carefully singling out the blackest part of the night as its probable direction began to grope my way over the dew-soaked grass as the event turned out i passed one of the most comfortable nights in all my memory luck is a most distracting thorn in the side of the logician and mine would have pricked venomously then had there been one of the breed nearby i had hardly got under the sighing lee of the wood when i made out against its black wall something long and low and square drawing nearer this revealed itself as an old railway carriage bereft of its wheels and used as i soon joyfully discovered as a receptacle for cattle fodder i struck a match and peered in all the interior divisions had been removed 
and all the doors nailed up but the one at which i stood a great heap of hay lay at one end fit for the couch of a king i thanked god fervently barred up the door ate my bread and cheese in darkness for i could not be for ever striking matches then burrowed up to my neck in the hay and slept like a dead man all the night End of chapter 12